0: Welcome back to The Word Encounter, episode 255, where today we will conclude our journey into the book of Hebrews. Got a lot to cover, so let's get started. Chapter 11 here, and this is a famous chapter. Uh, This is the faith chapter. It says, living by faith, in verse 1. Now faith is the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That's an awesome definition of faith. Uh, If we can see something come about, if we can see something manifest, then faith is no longer required. You see, when we can see it, it's not required. When it's not seen, matter of fact, when the odds are that it probably won't happen, that's when faith is required. It's just now faith is the reality, the reality of what is hoped for, the proof of what is not seen. That is faith. In verse three, it says by faith and by faith the the term, the phrase by faith is used a bunch of times here in chapter 11. It says by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was made from the things that are not visible. So we have two different opinions, basically, on the creation of the world, right? And so we have creationism, and then we have uh, uh, essentially uh, the Big Bang theory, how things just kind of got created out of out of uh, some kind of um, cataclysmic accident or something, and 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 by happenstance, uh, things came together, and the world and life was formed. And so we have those two, basically, those two different viewpoints. And the interesting thing is is that whichever one you subscribe to, they both require faith, both of them. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that uh, what is seen was made from things that are not visible or not seen. In in verse 5, it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away and so that he did not experience death He was not to be found because the Lord took him away Uh, for he uh, for before he was taken away. He was approved as one who pleased God. And so Enoch so pleased God that the Lord didn't allow him to taste death. He just took him up to be with him. That's how awesome Enoch was in his faith. It says in um, verse six, now without faith, it is impossible to please God. Uh, Not that it's very difficult. It's impossible to please God without faith since the one who draws near to him must first believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Now, look, listen to this. It says, since the one who draws near to God, if you want to draw near to God, you first have to believe that he exists. You see, a lot of people. Uh, they don't subscribe to the notion that God exists. So there's no way that they can draw close to him, right? Because they don't believe that he exists. But for those of us who have a knowing beyond knowing beyond knowing that God exists, there's this little, there's this thing inside of us, you know, it's like, man, I just, I just feel life without God, the creation of life without God doesn't make any sense and not to me anyway. And so there's this thing in me that, that, that just like, Man, this is God, God, God. I don't know what it is, but the point is to draw near him. You first must believe that he exists. And then it says, oh, let me, let me just back up to that. There are people trying to get folks created, uh, uh, converted, you know, uh, trying to draw people into the faith, trying to draw people to Jesus. And those people don't believe that God exists. So how can they be drawn into Jesus when they don't even believe that God exists? You know, (sighs) Verse seven, by faith, Noah, after he was warned about what was uh, not yet seen and motivated by godly fear. See, Noah was motivated by godly fear. He built an ark to deliver his family by faith. He condemned the world and became an heir to the righteousness that comes by faith. And see, uh, God told Noah what was going to happen, but Noah had to accept it on faith. He didn't know that there was no evidence that there was going to be a flood. There was a he just said, build an ark. And by faith, that's what Noah did. In verse eight, it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. See, uh, Abraham went out because God told him to go out. He didn't know where he was going. He had to go out on faith. He had no clue. It says he went out even though he did not know where he was going. Verse nine, by faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. And so they all went and lived in a foreign territory by faith because the Lord had made a promise. They didn't see any evidence of the promise, but by faith they did it anyway. In verse 11, by faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, even though she was old. She believed Now, initially. She didn't believe, but then she came to believe. And it says, um, since she considered that one who had, uh, who had promised, excuse me, let me wait, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. So, uh, Sarah came to a point of faith because she believed that God was faithful. So why would God tell me this? If he didn't follow through basically, then it says in verse 12, therefore, From the one man, in fact, from the one as good as dead. This is talking about Abraham for the one as good as dead. Why does it say that? Because he was old. It says, therefore, from the one man, from the one man, Abraham, in fact, from the one as good as dead came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. And so from this one man, uh, Abraham, came a tremendous nation, even though he was old as dirt before it started, when he had Isaac, you know? And so he was an old guy. Verse 13, and it says this, this is interesting. It says, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things they were promised. And so they were promised things and they did these things in faith and they went to their grave without seeing, without ever seeing what was promised. But they stayed in faith until the end. See, these all died in faith, although they had not received the things that were promised, but they saw them from a distance. They could see the finish line, but they themselves didn't cross the finish line. See, a lot of times we won't do things unless we feel we can reap the rewards, unless we feel that we can actually see, uh, see the manifestation of whatever it was that was promised. But they didn't. They died in faith. Because they didn't see it, but they saw them from a distance, greeted them and confessed that they were foreigners in, uh, in temporary uh, residence on earth. Now, those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. See, those who say such things, what, what things? That they considered themselves foreigners on earth, but they could see their true ho- homeland. He says, now those who say things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland, their true home. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have uh, had the opportunity to return. See, if they were thinking about the past, they would have turned around, forgot the promise and went back where they came from. But they didn't do that. It says in verse 16, but they are now, um, but they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. Verse 17, by faith. When Abraham, excuse me, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises, and yet he was offering his one and only son. Um, Abraham was going to sacrifice Isaac. He was going to sacrifice him on the ride, but the Lord stopped him. The Lord told him to do it, then the Lord stopped him. The Lord was testing Isaac, to see, excuse me, Abraham, to see how faithful he was. So he didn't, in fact, uh, you know, um, uh, martyr him, <laughs> In verse 19, it says he considered God to be able to even raise someone from the dead. So Abraham was thinking, look, the Lord is telling me to do this. So if I do it, it doesn't matter if I kill my son because he's going to the, the uh, God is going to raise him from the dead anyway. And so this was Abraham's faith. So from his perspective, he wasn't killing his son because he was going to be raised anyway. That's what he believed. That was his faith. In verse 20, it says, by faith. Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come by faith. Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each one of his sons, each one of the sons of Joseph. And he worshiped leaning on the top of his staff. He blessed each one of the uh, each one of the sons. Jacob did, even though he was old. he was leaning on top of the staff. He was old. He blessed him by faith. In verse twenty two. He says, by faith, Joseph, as he was nearing the end of his life, mentioned the exodus of the Israelites and gave instructions concerning his bones. Joseph knew that he wasn't going to exit Egypt. But by faith, you see, he knew of the exodus and what was going to happen. Verse 23, by faith, Moses, after he was born, was hidden from his parents for three months because they saw that the child was beautiful and they didn't fear the king's edict. By faith, Moses when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter and chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasure of sin. So rather than Growing up in the lap of luxury in the palace, of pharaoh's palace and, and whatnot, he wanted to be with his people by faith because he knew that that was a better deal than growing up in the palace. Verse 26, for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ to be greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt since he was looking ahead to the reward. Now notice it says, for he considered reproach for the sake of Christ. He's saying for the sake of Christ, Okay. For the sake of Christ, Moses, this is way before a uh, Christ, <laughs> way before Christ, You know, hundreds and hundreds of years before Christ, before the sake of Christ, he he, he considered it a greater wealth uh, than uh, living in and being associated with Pharaoh, living in the palace and being associated with Pharaoh. And in verse 27, it says, by faith, he left Egypt behind, not being afraid of the king's anger for Moses persevered as one who has seen. Uh, him who was invisible. See, by faith, he instituted the path, Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch the Israelites, remember? And so uh, the, the, the death angel, if you will, was coming out over uh, Egypt, and Moses instructed all the people to stay inside and put the lamb's blood above the doorpost and so that death will pass over your house. He instructed them to do this by what? By faith. How did he know that this was going to be the case? It was by faith. It says in verse 29, by faith, they crossed over the Red Sea as though they were on dry land. When the Egyptians attempted to do this, they were drowned. Verse 30, by faith, the the walls of Jericho fell down after being uh, marched around by the Israelites for seven days. By faith, Rahab the uh, prostitute welcomed the spies in in peace and didn't perish with those uh, who disobeyed. Verse 32. And what more can I say? Time is too short for me to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Joseph, uh, David, Samuel, and and the prophets who by faith, what did they do? They conquered kingdoms, administered justice, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions, quenched uh, quenched the raging fire, escaped the edge of the sword, uh, gained strength and weakness, became mighty in battle, and put foreign armies to flight. They did all of these things by what? By faith. They had no idea that these things were going to happen. They did them by faith. Others experienced mockings and scourgings as well as bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. They they were sawed in two. They died by the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins, in goatskins, destitute, afflicted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. See, said, uh, some escaped by faith, but others, they didn't escape as far as the, 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 the earthly punishments were concerned. But the word says that they, they got out anyway. Why? Because the world was not worthy of them. <laughs> Verse 39 All these things were approved through their faith, but they did not receive what was promised. See, since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. They didn't receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us so that they would not be made perfect without us. So this suggests that those who died in the faith would be united with those of us who believe by faith through Jesus. Chapter 12 called to endurance in verse one. Therefore, um, since we also have such a large crowd of witnesses surrounding us. And so, <clears throat> so this is implying that those who died in the faith in previous years, you see, who never seeing the promise, they died in the faith. This is implying that those people are the cloud of witnesses surrounding us because we're linked by a common bond, that common bond being a uh, faith. Therefore, since we have such a large uh, uh, cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and sin and the sin that so easily ensnares us. And so any obstacle or these little sins and whatnot, uh, the author is saying, lay that stuff aside. That stuff's not important. It says, let us run with endurance the race that lies before us. Unshackle yourself, unburden yourself with all of this stuff that's holding you down. Why? So you can run and you can run fast and you can win. And you can endure in the race that lies before us. Verse two, it says, keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith for the joy that lay before him. He endured the cross, despising uh, the shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. He despised the shame. So there was shame heaped on Jesus when he was on the cross. He ignored it. It was irrelevant. He, matter of fact, he interceded for those that for those that were sinning against him at the time. They spat on him, throwing rocks at him, mocking him. He interceded for them because he said, "You know, forgive them, Lord, for they know not what they do." If they knew what they if they knew what they were doing, they would have never done this. But he endured the cross. He despised shame. And after this was over, after he died, descended, rose on the third day, and then ascended into heaven. He sat at the right hand of God fatherly discipline. For consider him who endured such a hostility from sinners against himself so that you won't grow weary and give up. So consider Jesus who endured all of this stuff, this this hostility from sinners against himself. Why? So that you won't grow weary and give up. He's providing us an example of endurance. It says in verse four, in struggling against sin, you have not resisted to the point of shedding your blood. See, in our in our struggle see Jesus when they said Jesus uh, uh, Jesus when he was um in such dis- distress he sweated blood he says you haven't done that <laughs> you know in struggling against sin you have not yet released uh resisted to the point of shedding your blood and then he says in verse 5 he says and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons my son do not take the lord's discipline lightly Or lose heart when you are reproved by him, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. And so as we're going through our afflictions, as we're going through our difficult times, as we're going through and questioning things and whatnot, he says, remember, remember, son, don't take this discipline you're receiving lightly. Consider it. You know, don't lose heart when you are being reproved by the Lord, when you are being pruned and refined. Don't lose heart. Don't forget for the Lord disciplines the ones he loves. If you weren't going through this, then that would be a sign that you weren't loved by the Lord. See, and it says that he punishes every son he receives, every son. Nobody escapes this. And so we all have to face down and go through the fire. Whatever our personal fires, uh, personal fires are, we're being refined by the Lord. We're being pruned by the Lord because there's something that's going to come about from that refinement, from that pruning that we're going to need in the future times, in the future days. And so we're being trained, if you will. Then it says in verse seven, endure suffering as discipline. And so when you're suffering, just view it as discipline, view it as training. It says God has done God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? You see, and it, it, it can be considered that if a father doesn't uh, discipline his son or his children, that he in fact despises those children, that he has no feeling or affection for those children. Verse eight. But if you, were, if you are without discipline, which all receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Wow, that's a strong word. He said, if you're not being disciplined by God, then you're really not a child of God. You're illegitimate. You may be an acquaintance, but you're not a child. In verse nine, furthermore, we had human fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we submit even more to the father of spirits and live? That's a good question. For they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed to be good to them. For your your natural, your earthly father disciplined you for a short time based on what he thinks is best for you. But he does it for our benefit so that we can share his holiness. But God does it for our benefit. Why? So that we can share in his holiness. In verse 11, it says no discipline seems enjoyable at the time. Amen to that. But painful. Later on, however, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it and so it's very difficult not to get in a certain mind space when you're going through discipline and punishment. It's very hard you know just but but you have to keep in mind you know that what it's going to yield, see the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it <clears throat> warning against rejecting God's grace pursue peace with everyone and holiness. Without it, no one will see the Lord. See, without peace with everyone, you know, uh, uh, and pursue, uh, which could yield holiness, says no one will see God. And so with everyone, this is not with some people, it says pursue peace with everyone. Let's drop down here to verse 22. It says, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, to myriads of angels, a festive gathering, to the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven, to the judge who is God of all, and uh, to the spirits of righteous people made perfect. And I've got this highlighted because, you know, we, we need to keep in mind that those of us who come to the Lord, it says that we are the assembly of the firstborn whose names have been written in heaven. Your name is written in the book of life in heaven. I, I, I can just you know, try to get a visual of that with your name being written. You know, is it printed? Is it in cursive? Whatever. But your name is in the book of life in heaven. Those of us who subscribe to Jesus. In verse 25, see to it that you do not reject the one who speaks. See to it that you, you do not re- uh, reject God, that you do not reject Jesus. See to it. See, remember who he's talking to. He's talking to the Jewish Christians who are thinking about going back to Judaism. And he's saying, see to it that you don't reject the one who speaks. For if they did not escape when they rejected him who warned, uh, who warned them on earth, even less will we uh, if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven. You see? And so... <clears throat> Well, let me go on. It says, verse twenty-six. His voice took uh, shook the earth at the time, but he now, but now he has a promise. Yet once more, I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This expression, "yet once more," indicates the removal of what can be shaken, that is, created things. See, and so it says, "yet once more" indicates the removal of things that can be shaken, that is, the created things. In other words, the created things are the things that can be shaken. Those are going to be removed so that what is not shaken might remain so that what is not shaken, those things that are eternal might remain. In other words, the temporal things, you know, when the, when, when things are shaken, they're going to fall off and go by the wayside, but the eternal things are going to stay. Then it says in verse 28, therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful by it, by that kingdom. We may serve God acceptably, Uh, with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Final exhortations in verse 13. Don't neglect to show hospitality, for by doing this, some have welcomed angels as guests without knowing it. Wow. So can you imagine that, you know, some of you may have had angels in your household and you didn't even know it. It says, don't neglect to show hospitality. In other words, show hospitality, show it to everybody. For by doing this, you may receive guests that are angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as though you were in prison with them and the mistreated as though you, you yourselves were suffering bodily. Marriage is to be honored. Okay. <laughs> I could spend a lot of time on it. Marriage is to be honored by all in the marriage bed kept undefiled because God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Keep your life free from the love of money. Be satisfied with what you have. Be content with what you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you or abandon you. Be satisfied with what you have. Don't be, you know, be content. Don't don't be worried about what you don't have. Why? Because the word says, I will never leave you or abandon you. You will have essentially everything you need. Just be satisfied, be content. Don't be, don't be coveted. You know, don't, don't, don't be, don't involve yourself in covetedness. Don't you know desire things that aren't for you. Be satisfied with what you have. In verse 6, therefore we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? See, when you're satisfied and contented, and the Lord is telling you that he'll never abandon you, then you can say to yourself with all confidence, the Lord is my helper, helper, I will not be afraid what can man do to me? God's on my side. In verse seven, it says, remember your leaders who have spoken God's word to you as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives. As you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, imitate their faith. What this implies is as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives and you see that fruit is being produced from them, then imitate their faith. See, but the onus is on us to examine the lives of the ones that we follow. You see, the onus is on us. You don't get to escape because a certain leader said this or that or whatever. The onus on you is on you to examine them. See, as you carefully observe the outcome of their lives, then imitate their faith, essentially, if they pass the test. Verse 8 Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Don't be led astray by various kinds of strange teachings. Again, the onus is on us to know what a strange teaching is. How can we know what a strange teaching is if we don't know what a righteous teaching is? The only way to know that is to get in the word and study it to make sure that you know what's there. Therefore, you will be able to then discern what a strange teaching is. Let's drop down to verse uh, 15. It says, Through him, let us continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise. That is the fruit of lips, the fruit of lips that confess his name. And so your lips are a sacrifice of praise when you confess his name. It says, "Don't Don't neglect to do what is good and to share, for God is pleased with such sacrifices. In other words, do good and share share in your prosperity, share in your, do, in your well-doing, because God is pleased with these sacrifices. Obey your leaders and submit to them, since they watch over your souls as those who, give an, uh, who will give an account, so that they can do this with joy and not grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. And so again, Obey your leaders and submit to them. Let's combine that with the previous scripture when it says, essentially, watch the lives of those you follow. You should be able to obey your leaders and submit to them if they pass the test. See? But again, you just don't obey uh, uh, any leader and submit to any leader. No, they have to pass the test. And them passing the test is on you grading them as you examine their life. You see? And it says in verse 20, Now, may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, equip you with every good thing to do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And so... That brings us to the end of Hebrews. And I I hope you can see how you may have to go back into Hebrews and really dig into it and and really uh, meditate on it, marinate on what's being said. Uh, It's a fascinating book. It's a fascinating writing. Um, uh, Again, just to recap, uh, the author is trying to convince uh, and encourage the Jewish Christians to stay in the faith. Don't turn away. Stay in the faith, and he's offering up tremendous evidence, just as a lawyer would in a courtroom, and and uh, arguing his case before the jury with regard to why they should stay in the faith and not turn away. Just a tremendous, tremendous resource of um, of theological thinking, of of, of or I should say, divine thinking, and how God uh, views things, his perspective and whatnot. And so with that, we are done. And we will pick things up in the book of James tomorrow. We are rapidly closing in on Revelation and the end of the Bible. Um, It's just been awesome going through this. But anyway, Jesus makes his eternal invitation. If you believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, and if you confess with your mouth that by him I am saved and he is my Lord. The Bible says that you will not be put to shame and that you will be saved. The Bible not only says this, the Bible promises this. You know, (laughs) God is not a man that he should lie. And so if it says it, then that's what he said. The onus again is on us to accept that invitation. If you accept that invitation, uh, invitation, then eternity is at your doorstep, essentially. Everybody stay safe, be blessed, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus, and should he grant us another day of life through his mercy and grace. We'll see you tomorrow for the next episode of The Word Encounter. Bye-bye.